There's a time to speak and a time to be silent, the Bible says. It's interesting that out of all God's creation, mankind was the only one who was given a voice to speak. Because authority is expressed through words. And as the earthly ruler of creation, man was to use this authority with his voice. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Praise God. Uh, Matthew chapter 16. Then Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I the son of man am? And so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others uh, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed to you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Praise the Lord. We're dealing with part four of Unstoppable. And, um, you know, I'm, 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 some of you are probably feeling maybe this message is unstoppable. Um, certainly my wife reminds me of that. Um, I have a tendency sometimes to start and not know how to get out. But um, <laughs> praise the Lord. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Amen. So we are his church purchased with his blood and hell will not prevail against us. Just say that today. Hell will not prevail against me or my family. Amen. You see, we are unstoppable. Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. And it says, yes, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who gives us strength. Amen. Yet in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, we are the church and we are unstoppable. You see, the enemy can try to put up some roadblocks or hindrances to try and stop us along the way, but he cannot succeed because even though he may attack you, he can't stop you. It's just a matter of time before you break through. You see, you are a victory waiting to happen. Amen? Sam chapter uh, 1 and verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. This is God's promise that whatever we do, will prosper. Amen? Whatever she does, whatever he does, as redeemed children of the Most High God, it's so important for us to know this is our default position. Amen? Success is inevitable because we are loved and called by God. Amen? And so this is the thing. We are blessed when we go in. We are blessed when we go out in Jesus' name. The blessing of God is upon us. And so the question is, do you believe it? Amen? Because we've looked over the last three weeks um, at the first essential element uh, you know, that makes us unstoppable, and that is righteousness. Amen? 
you know, what a glorious miracle this is. You know, you know that God would take a sinner and turn them into a saint. That he takes a child of wrath and turns them into a child of God. And that is the greatest miracle of all. And this is the thing. Sometimes people say, oh, I'm not sure if I could really believe for a home or for a spouse or to get healed. You, if you're born again, if you are saved, you've already received the greatest miracle that you can receive this side of eternity. There is no greater miracle than taking a, saint, a sinner and turning them into saints. Amen. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the son of his love. So again, uh, anything afterwards is, is something that is smaller than that. So thank God for the miracle of salvation. So how many of you are convinced, absolutely convinced, after these three weeks that you are righteous? Amen? Hallelujah. In spite of your past, in spite of where you've been or where you've failed or fallen, that you are righteous because of the blood of Jesus. Amen? Thank you, Lord. So it's, it's important for us to, to grasp this because... That we can say with certainty, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because once you know your right standing with God, you will have great boldness and confidence before God, before man, and even before devils. So firstly, we become unstoppable when we discover our righteousness. And today, we become unstoppable when we discover our authority. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 10 and verse 19. And here Jesus is talking. And um, Luke 10 and verse 17. Then the 70 returned to joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So Jesus here said to the disciples, I give you authority. But by extension, he's not just saying it to the 12 uh, you know, uh, disciples or the 12 apostles. He is saying that to every one of us. I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. And he, I mean, he's not talking about literally the way some churches in the, in, 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 in the Bible about, you know, start playing with snakes and do crazy things. It's talking about, you know, those, those serpents and scorpions are symbolic of of powers of darkness because remember Satan came in the form of a serpent in the garden of Eden so Jesus has given us authority so as blood-bought believers in Jesus Christ we have been granted authority the question is this are you using that authority that God has given to you are you walking in Holy Ghost power or like so many others are you a hostage to circumstances just a mere passenger in your life to whatever is, you know, at the wheel at the moment, you know, and, and unfortunately that's the way many people are. It's like a roller coaster and, and that's not the way God wants us to be because many believers are ignorant of the authority that belongs to them in Christ and as a consequence of this, uh, the, the enemy walks all over them as they patiently wait for God to intervene and do something about the devil when God has already done all his 
going to do about the devil. He has given you authority to deal with him and to deal with his works. Amen? And so this is the problem. Many believers are patiently waiting for God to change their situation when God has already given them the authority to deal with that thing in his name. Amen? So like I said, God's done all he's going to do about the devil. He defeated him at the cross. Colossians 2 verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The Amplified. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, those supernatural forces of evil operating against us, he made a public example of them, exhibiting them as captives in his triumphal procession having triumphed over them through the cross. You see, in Roman times, a ruler would hold something called a triumphal, a triumphant procession. And it was in order to honor and celebrate a commander who might have led Rome's armies to victory or to, you know, to, to, you know, to welcome back um, uh, you know, a commander uh, who had successfully completed a war. And they would march those conquered rulers of those nations naked and in chains along with the plunder that they had brought from those nations through the streets of Rome. It was a triumphal procession. And in the same way, um, uh, what this would do would, would essentially uh, you know, demonstrate uh, this, public this public spectacle would, would demonstrate the utter defeat of their enemies because here were these once proud kings um, you know, being marched in chains through the streets you know, and they were shown as being utterly defeated and, and, and therefore it would you know, magnify the victories of Rome. And in the same way, the Bible here shows us that Satan is a defeated, conquered foe. That's why, you know, again, let, let me read it. It says, and having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Amen. And so this is why Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27 tells us, neither give place to the devil. Um, James chapter 4 verse 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You see, the Bible would not ask you, God would not ask you to do something you weren't already authorized or able to do. And, and this is why, you know, when you grasp this, you see, God isn't unjust. He's not going to ask you to do something you're not able to do. So when he says, you know, don't give place to the devil, that means we don't have to give place to the devil. And, you know, by inference, we don't have to give place to the devil's works, sickness, disease, poverty, you know, confusion, mental torment, um, all of these issues. Uh, neither give place to the devil. And so uh, the Bible tells us don't give the devil any place to resist him, to resist his works. And, and therefore, uh, it, it, we must clearly understand we have authority and power um, uh, to do so. And yet, in reality, many believers are, are literally terrified of the devil. And, 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 and therefore, darkness holds sway over their lives. I mean, they're not victorious. They're not joyful. They're not walking in health. They're not walking in peace. They're, they're tormented. And, and that's not the way God wants us to be. You see, the enemy of your soul um, uh, thrives in an environment of ignorance. And that's why he will fight you every week. Every week from coming to church. 
He'll cause you to be tired. He'll cause you to argue with your wife on the way. He'll cause your kids to be sick, you know, because he doesn't want you to, to come to church. Because when you come to church, you will, learn to, you will learn about your authority. You will learn about who you are in Christ. And you'll be able to take authority over him. I mean, we saw it during, during COVID when everybody had to, had to book to come to church. Some weeks, we literally saw hundreds uh, less people here than what had actually booked to be there. And what it told me is that, you know what, every week the devil is working on, on conspiring to create an environment, to create, you know, things that will stop people from getting into church. And therefore, you have to ask yourself, why is the devil so invested in stopping you from getting to church? What happens in this place that is so significant that you can't get through a TV screen or a computer or a phone? There's something supernatural about the gathering of the saints and that is why the devil did everything he could to shut the world down and stop people going to church in the name of science, in the name of the greater good or all of the other lies that were propagated during COVID. There is no greater good than the preaching of the gospel. None. None. You see, the devil uh, walks, he, he works in an environment of ignorance. You know, the church I got saved in saw great miracles. Uh, it was a little house church. I was truly blessed to be, be there. I was led to Christ. I, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And I was taught the principles of faith there. And I wasn't just taught them in theory. I, I, was, I witnessed them in practice. I saw people healed of cancer and all sorts of diseases. People delivered. People set free. People saved. It was beautiful. I learned a lot of great things, but there was one problem. The pastor literally did everything. If you were sick, you went to him for prayer. If you needed deliverance, you went to the pastor. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to lead somebody to Christ, you brought them to the pastor. And, uh, you know, you brought them to the pastor's house and he would pray with them. And, you know, it was an effective approach because um, he, he was an anointed man and he always knew the right thing to say. And, um, you know, so it, it was good on one level. I'm not locking him. Uh, uh, he loved God and, and he, he was very good to me. And, and again, we saw many mighty miracles. But at the end of every week, on a Sunday, there was a line of people at the end of the service there for him to pray with them. And, you know, to be honest, in some ways, it seemed like anybody with any leadership ability was viewed as a threat rather than an asset. They were viewed as, as, as somebody, you know, that, that, that needed to be watched um, and, and, you know, rather than somebody to be mentored and, and developed. And, um, you know, a lot of those people eventually left or were chased out. And, and, and again, I, I think that's something that can be common sometimes in churches. And so, um, but, pe but those who, left, who remained were kept as spiritual babies for 20, 30 years. And uh, they never really discovered their authority. And, and while this situation isn't uh, particularly unusual, I'm absolutely convinced it's not biblical. Because it limits the effectiveness and the growth of the church. And it doesn't glorify God. Um, you know, Jesus said this, but by this my Father is glorified that you bear... bear Thank you, Jesus. Um, hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Praise God for the money in a baby's room. So, um, John 15 verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. You see, we glorify God 
by bearing fruit. We glorify him by growing and by bearing fruit. Now let me be clear, to bear fruit you have to be part of a local body. There's a lot of Christians out there and, and I see them, they have leadership ability but they, they bear no fruit because they have a rebellious spirit, they cannot come under authority, they're, they're here one week, they're there somewhere else and they just, they just can't take any input and that's, that's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about leadership. You know, lead, you know, a leader is part of something bigger than themselves. Okay, and so, but, but this is the thing. Uh, we can't grow and we can't bear fruit if we stay as spiritual babies. First Corinthians 13 verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I talked like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. Let me say this, people. It's time for us to grow up. Because there's, a, there's a, a lost world out there currently on its way to hell. And we have to grow up and take our place um, in the army of God. And so this is why, uh, you know, we have a prayer team that pray with people at the end. It doesn't have to be me. We got a lot of anointed men and women in this church that can pray the prayer of faith with you. And you can receive what you need in Jesus' name. Because it comes from heaven. And so this is why we encourage you to go to Bible school. Uh, my people are destroyed through lack of knowledge. If you go to Bible school, your life will be changed. Yeah, and I don't care you know, what you've been to in the past. You will learn something if you have an attitude of humility. And you go there. Uh, like I said, and, and we make it as easy as possible. We don't charge you anything. We have it on Zoom. So you can do it after you come in from work, whatever. You know, we try and make it as flexible as possible. Because we know that the, the, the word of God will change your life. That's why we encourage you. Join a life group. You know, Some of these men and, and women that are on the stage are some of the most faithful. Um, honorable, uh, 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 you know, men and women of faith that I know. And, um, and, and so, again, you, you'll be blessed because they're there to mentor you. They're there to train you just as we have played some part, um, some small part in mentoring and training them. Okay? And so, uh, you know, as pastors, we're here to teach you and to help you prepare to do the work of the ministry because we want to raise up leaders in this house. You know, men and women who boldly pray with the sick, um, win souls, cast out devils, and impact their worlds. Because, you know, one of the greatest needs in the body of Christ is, is for humble, Christ-like, um, mature leaders who love God, who love the Bible, and who love people. And unfortunately, too many times in the church, we've accepted two out of three um, on those. And uh, I've seen leaders, they might love God, they might love the Bible, I'm not sure about people, but you know, we're called to love all three, okay? And so, anyway, um, you know, we want to raise up leaders. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says that the fivefold ministry um, is there to help equip you to do the work of the ministry. And it says... Um, Verse 11, and it says, he himself, he himself, this is God, gave himself, so listen, as a pastor, Joanna will tell you, there was a time when I was, when I was single, and I told her, I will never be a pastor. Um, I didn't want to be a pastor, I wanted to be an evangelist like Rainer Bonnke, you know, go in, blow up, win souls, leave. Uh, you know, uh, but that wasn't my call, God called me to be a pastor. I kept getting prophetic words that you're going to be a pastor, and I used to be sitting there quietly, I rebuked it in the name of Jesus Christ. That's a fact. I mean, one time we came out of a youth service, and I, I remember I, I, I stood joined against the wall and says, I will never be a youth pastor. A year later, less than a year later, I was a youth pastor, and I was loving it. I mean, this is the thing. God's, God, you know, his plans are bigger than ours. But this is the thing. Nobody comes up with the idea uh, of, of being a, a minister. Yes, some do, but generally, you know, nobody, those ministries never grow. But it's God's idea. He himself gave some to be apostles, some pastors, some uh, uh, prophets, 
some evangelists and teachers, and it says, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So here the Bible clearly tells us that there is safety in being part of a church, in being under a pastor, because that, that is the way God has ordained it. And you know, too many times there's these ministries off, you know, in the, just in the periphery, not connected to anything, and they're not going anywhere. Because again, Jesus said, being part of the vine, I believe that's being part, not just part of Christ, but it's being part of the church, because the church has come from Christ. He is the head of the church. And so if you're not connected to the church, you're not connected to Christ. That's just the, the way it is. So part of doing the work of God is walking in the authority that God has given to us. Okay, so let me put it another way. You can't do the work of the ministry, at least not effectively, if you don't understand your authority. Because when people don't recognize what they have been given, it's the same as if they didn't have it. Okay, because you can't use what you don't understand. I mean, you may have a million euros in a bank account in your name that somebody has put there, but if you don't know about it, it's not going to benefit you, amen? And so you have to learn how to, you know, that it's there and also how to access it, okay? So we want this to be a church where people walk in victory, amen? But to do that, you have to discover your authority. And that's why, again, we emphasize Bible school and uh, like I said, we make it free because it will bless your life. Matthew 16, verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The Amplified, I will give you the keys, the authority of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind, forbid, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth will have already been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose, permit, declare lawful on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. So God gives us authority, and yet sadly, most believers are ignorant of it. Um, uh, Sam, uh, sorry, Genesis chapter 1, uh, 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, let them have dominion. You were created for dominion. That's why, you know, deep down, every man and woman has a dream on the inside. You know, whether it's of owning a business or owning a home or, or, or you know, people are always trying to, to achieve something better. And uh, because that, that's been put on the inside of us. We were created for dominion. That's why some of you hate your boss. Um, <laughs> you don't like being told what to do. Uh, but it says, let them have uh, dominion. Uh, over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male, female, and transgender, he created... Sorry, that's not actually there, is it? Actually, there's only two. Isn't that amazing? There's just two. A wig, a cocktail dress, and high heels do not transform you into a woman. He created man and woman in his image. See, Satan wants to debase the image of God in man. As a man, as a woman, you, you reflect the glory of God. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish, the sea, the birds, the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we were created for dominion. Just say it today, I was created for dominion. 
You see, God created man and woman and gave them authority. You could say that man was the ruler of this world. And, and this authority was necessary for man to rule as God had planned. However, when Adam sinned, Satan took this authority and man thereafter became a slave. And we see, that, we see this even to this very day where men and women are slaves to addiction and anger and perversion and, and false religion and pride and envy and fear. People are slaves. This is why 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, if the good news we preach is hidden behind the veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. It says, the God of this world has blinded uh, the, the minds of those who don't believe. It's interesting, the Bible refers to him as the God of this world. Why? Because Adam was originally created as the God or the ruler of this world. It doesn't say Adam was a God. I think it's important to make that distinction. But it just means that he, was, he had rulership. He had authority. He, he was, you know, the boss, so to speak, under God. So, but it's clear that there is a force actively seeking to keep men and women from discovering the truth that can save them. You see, Satan deceives the ignorant, okay? You may have a PhD or a doctorate or 15 degrees, but if you are not saved, you are woefully deceived as to what you are going to face in the next life because great learning cannot save you from the fires of hell. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, And no wonder, since Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. You see, Satan is the God of this world, even though clearly he isn't a God. He is a created, fallen being. But notwithstanding this, he has a certain hold over this world. That is, until Adam's lease runs out. Amen, because he essentially took Adam's lease, Adam's authority. Jesus acknowledges this in Luke chapter 4 and verse 5. We see where Satan came to tempt Jesus. And he said, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. All of the kingdoms of the world, with all of the vast beauty and wealth and power, influence and everything that, that goes with that. In a moment, Satan showed him all of that. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. In that moment, Satan offers uh, the crown to Jesus. He offers him the crown without the cross. And a lot of people say, well, you know, the devil is a liar. The devil wasn't lying in that moment. Because if he was, it wouldn't have been a temptation. And Jesus would have known that. But it wasn't the devil lying. He, he said, all of this authority I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. But it's interesting, he said, for this has been delivered to me. Do you think God gave that to the devil? Do you think God gave the influence and the power and the wealth and the money and all these things to the devil? No, he didn't. Adam did. When Adam sinned in the garden, he delivered this, uh, this world 
to the devil and to, to the influence of the devil. And that's why, you know, even though Satan is a liar, in this instance, he was speaking truth because otherwise it wouldn't have been a genuine temptation. But it was, and let me say this, Satan is still giving wealth and power and influence to, do who, who, to those who will do his will and his bidding. You see, some of you sitting here today envy celebrities. I don't. Because I know what many of them did to get to where they are. For every celebrity that makes it, there's a hundred wannabes or a thousand wannabes. Why that one and not the other? I'll tell you why. Many of them have made a pact with Satan. And he is the one who is dishing out the influence, the wealth, the power. But it is only to those who will do his bidding. If you will bow down before me, all will be thine. I believe many of them have sold their soul and nothing but the fires of hell await them in the next life. Do you think it's a coincidence that so many of these influential, powerful people are, are, are proponents of, of abortion and LGBT and uh, gender confusion and all of these various ideas and ideologies? They're simply just reading the script that they have been handed. They are puppets in the hand of the prince of darkness. But while Satan still has the authority or a right to operate and function in this world, and the evidence of his work is all around us. Just look around you. You know, marriage breakdown, abuse, murder, abortion, war, theft, violence, etc. In spite of all of this, he has no authority over a blood-bought believer. Come on. He's got no authority over you or over your family or your children or your children's children. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That is why he has no authority. You have been redeemed. We have been redeemed and because of this we are off limits. Ephesians 1.7 In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Revelation 5.9, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you are slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You see, to redeem simply means to purchase. It means to gain or regain something um, in exchange for a payment. You see, Christ literally purchased our soul from sin and Satan and death itself by pouring out his blood at the cross as the payment for our sin. And this is why they no longer have any hold over us. Hosea 13, 14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Oh, death, I will be thy plagues. Oh, grave, I will be thy destruction. I will redeem them from death. You see, Romans chapter 5 talks about this. Romans 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all mankind because all sinned. Adam was the, the, the prototype, uh, and, and you know, every one of us were, were copies, so to speak. 
you know, in those, those days when you would have a CD, uh, you know, if the master had something happening at 35 minutes, 20 seconds, guess what? You do a million copies, they'll all have the same thing. And so too, the, the sin of Adam was passed down from generation to generation. But it says, verse 17, if the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You see, we reign in life because of righteousness. We reign in life because we have authority. For if by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience will many be made righteous. Glory to God. You see, we've been made righteous through the blood. You see, death came through one man, but life came through another. The first Adam brought sin and death, and the second Adam brought righteousness and life. And so, as I've gone to great lengths over the last three weeks, you know, to, to explain, it is righteousness that enables us to reign. But in order to reign, we have to exercise our authority. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1. When he had called these 12 disciples, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease. Verse 7. As you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Hallelujah. I love that. It always amazes me when I read that verse. You know, about how Jesus speaks so matter-of-factly. Uh, uh, you know, about us. Not him, but us. Uh, healing the sick. Not just praying for the sick, but healing them. And, and not just healing the sick. Casting, uh, uh, you know, cleansing the lepers, which was an incurable disease. The same way as, you know, Jesus today is saying, go cure cancer. I mean, uh, you know, uh, casting, out, uh, casting out devils and even raising the dead. I mean, it just, it blows my mind. But the way he talks about it, no big deal. Just, just a matter of fact. Go out there and do these things. You know, Matthew 28, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore... Jesus acknowledges all authority in heaven and in earth was given to him and then he immediately confers that authority upon his church. That's why the devil hates the church. That's why the devil wants churches closed. Because as the church, we are a visible representation of, of Christ's body on this earth. That's why so many people say, you know, I'm a spiritual person but I'm not into organized religion. It's only when we gather, you know, that, 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 you know, that, that supernatural element um, is manifested for all to see. And so we've been given tremendous authority by God. It's been given to all who believe in Jesus Christ. Luke 4, 36. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves saying, what a word this is. With authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Mark 4.41, they were terrified and said to one another, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. You see, Jesus walked in authority and because of this, he made things happen. And let me tell you something, you are called to make things happen as well in Jesus' name. Amen, because you have authority. The centurion came to Jesus and he said, I'm a man under authority. I say to my servants, go, and they, they go. I say to my, uh, my soldiers, do this, and they, they do that. You see, the reason this man was, uh, you know, had such great faith is he understood authority. I don't have time to go through it, but, um, you know, Jesus said, I haven't found such great faith, not even in Israel. 
But it started by this man acknowledging, I have authority and I can command people to do what I tell them. I believe you have authority and the devils have to do what you tell them. And so, again, this is the thing. You have to be under authority to be in authority. And that's why you see people that have that rebellious spirit that will never, you know, be under a pastor, never be a member of a church. Uh, they never bear any fruit. And, uh, you know, they, ne- they never take a moment to ask themselves why. But, you know, if you don't belong to a church or submit to a pastor, um, you know, you're just out there doing your own thing, you're never going to see that lasting fruit, that fruit that remains, like Jesus said. Yes, you might, you know, have some short-term fruit, but it's not going to be long-term fruit. And so, uh, for me, it's a great privilege to be called pastor. I was only thinking this week about Jackie, about wh- what a privilege it was for a woman of that caliber to, to call me her pastor. And, um, you know, I, I believe pastoring is, is a high calling. But with the calling also comes the authority. And this is what a lot of people don't understand. Um, uh, Hebrews 13 and verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. As those who must give an account, let them do so with joy, not with grief, for that will not be profitable for you. I understand in this kind of free and easy, you know, I, I do what I want when I want kind of uh, generation. Uh, you know, that isn't a very popular scripture. You're not going to hear it too much. But that's what the Bible says. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls. As those who must give an account. Do you understand that I have to give an account as a pastor for the people that God has entrusted to me? First Peter chapter 5 verse 1 in the Amplified. Therefore, I strongly urge the elders among you, pastors, spiritual leaders of the church, as a fellow elder and as an eyewitness called to testify of the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd and guide and protect the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, not motivated for shameful gain, but with wholehearted enthusiasm, not lording it over those assigned to your care. Do not be arrogant or overbearing, but be examples of Christian living to the flock. Set a pattern of integrity for your congregation. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the conqueror's unfading crowd of glory. You see, Jesus is the chief shepherd, but as a pastor, you are an under-shepherd. And yes, it's an honor, but it's also very sobering because you're called by God. You are responsible to lead and influence eternal souls. And so, again, uh, it, it's, it's a rewarding job, but it's a very difficult one. And all I can say, you know, as a member of the church, don't make it more difficult than it needs to be. <laughs> because unfortunately, some people, you just can't tell them anything. And it's so frustrating sometimes as a pastor. You're trying to help them, and the sheep is biting at you, you know. (laughs) So pray for your pastor, but be also, be open to correction, okay? Because like I said, some people you can't tell them anything, they insist on going their own way. So the subject of the authority of the believer is one of those areas where you see major differences between churches and ministries, and sadly, it can be a source of, of major contention and accusation. 
And, and you know, not without reason, because I believe that Satan has hidden um, this revelation from much of the church because um, he fights it because it threatens his kingdom. And, um, you know, that's, that's sadly, because let me say this, unfortunately, um, authority is a subject where error, ignorance, and misunderstanding um, often masquerades as theology. And, and that's sad. But Paul prayed, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Because just like with righteousness, amen, understanding is absolutely vital. But let me say this, what you don't know um, can hurt you, hinder you, or even destroy you. So you need to be able to, differ, to discern the difference between sovereignty and authority. Because um, absolutely, I believe God is sovereign. God can do whatever he wants, okay? Uh, but this is the problem. Confusion and misunderstanding characterizes this issue on so many occasions. Because in many instances, we're asking God to do something for us that he's already authorized us to do. This morning I was in the shower. I could have prayed for an hour and asked God to shave my face. He's sovereign. Yes, he could do it. He could send an angel with a Gillette razor. But most likely, he's not going to do that. You know why? Opposable thumbs. I can do it myself. He gave me hands. Okay? I'm just trying to say, sovereignty and authority, people can't understand the distinction. God can do anything, yes, but he has chosen to work through his people. Take sovereignty to an extreme, and you won't even try to win the world to Christ. Why? Because if God wants to save them, he will. And there's even whole denominations that believe that. And so, this is the thing. Jesus said to his disciples, you give them something to eat. Mark 6, 37. We have to rise up and use our authority or we will be ineffective in the service of God. Because sovereignty says, God will do what he wants. Therefore, I cannot pray with any certainty. Who knows? Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. Maybe he will heal me. Maybe I'll remain sick because I'm going to glorify God that way. God's sovereign. It's like one man many years ago said to me, God knows where I live. If he wants to heal me, he will. Guess what? He died young and he died sick. If he wants to heal me, he will. Try applying that same thinking to salvation. If God wants to save me, he will. You'll go straight to hell. Because you have to appropriate the promises of God by faith for yourself. Too many times we're asking God to do something that he's already done, something that he's authorized us to do in his name. And this is the tragedy. People, like I said, will go to hell if they do not personally appropriate God's promises by faith. Amen? And so you need to use your authority and claim what belongs to you, whether it's healing or wholeness, prosperity, favor, direction. It belongs to you as a child of God. But let me repeat, if you're asking God to do what he's already authorized you to do, you will suffer. Because it is dangerous to pray, if it be thy will, in instances where God has already clearly revealed his will in his word, because his word is his will. Do you know the testament literally means will? So when you're reading the New Testament or, or the Old Testament, you know, you're reading God's will. You're reading God's word. And so, yes, absolutely, where God's will is unknown or obscure, it's fine to pray if it be thy will. 
Lord, if it be thy will for me to open a Brazilian coffee bar in Dubai, of course. But if you're praying, if it be thy will for something where God has shown you it's his will, like healing, our prosperity, our peace, our salvation, you're on very dangerous ground, okay? So we've been authorized to do a number of things. Firstly, really quickly, ask. Jesus said in Matthew 7, ask and will be given to you, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. We've been authorized by God to ask. Ask and will be given to you, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks, receives. And so this is the beauty. As a child of God, we've been authorized to ask in the name of Jesus. You know, Acts chapter 19 talks about the sons of Sceva. They were using the name of Jesus. And the, de the devil in the person rose up and said, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? A literal translation says, Jesus we know by experience, Paul we know by reputation. But who are you? Do you have a reputation in hell? I love that. Paul had a reputation in hell. You know, there are all these demons coming in with broken arms and black eyes. What happened to you? A guy called Paul. <laughs> We've been authorized to ask. Even the demons could recognize those who had the authority of the name. John chapter 14 and verse 12. John 14 and verse 12. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. John chapter 16 and verse 23. In that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy might be full. God wants you to ask. You have been authorized to ask. Doesn't matter how big it is. Doesn't matter how, how big your need is or how big your giant is. Ask in the name. Glory to God, he'll do it. Glory to Jesus. We're living in a house that there's no way in the natural we should be in. But you know what? 25 years ago, when we were single, we asked. Ask, and God will do miracles in your life. Have we limited God, what he can do in our lives? Have we limited what he can do in our lives, in our families, in our nations, simply because we've been unwilling to ask? Because sometimes we're trying to earn something that would be ours if only we would ask in the name of Jesus, because all of the power of, of heaven and earth is invested in the name of Jesus. And that is why when you use that name, you become unstoppable. There is no devil can stand in your way when you use the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Just say that name right now, Jesus. Ask of me, I will give you the nations. Oh, I've been asking God for Dublin for 30 years since I came here. I just fell in love with the people. I fell in love with the city. Ask, glory to Jesus. That's why I came here. I came into this place. I looked stupid coming in here with 200 people. But you know what? I said, Lord, this is a statement of intent. We're going to see this place filled in Jesus' name. Glory to God. We serve a big God. He wants us to think big. Ask. Hallelujah. 
She and Ashaka Tene Mesite. John Owen, 1616 to 1683. God has a work to do in this world, and to desert it because of its difficulties and entanglements is to cast off his authority. It is not enough that we be just, that we be righteous, and walk with God in holiness. But we must also serve our generation as David did before he fell asleep. God has work to do, and not to help him is to oppose him. What are you doing for the Lord? I'm not talking about, you know, somewhere off in the periphery. What are you doing in the house of God? What are you doing to make this happen today? You know, we had like five or six people turn up for the outreach yesterday. I'm just saying, it's important. We have a city to reach, and we must be about our Father's business. Amen. Ask. Ask of me. We, we have a, a, a lost generation on its way to hell. Ask. Ask for their souls. Ask for your family, for your friends, your colleagues. Ask. Keep asking God in Jesus' name. Acts 5.20. Go into the temple and give the people this message of life. Firstly, ask. Secondly, stop. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And then he said, and whatever you bind... To bind literally means to tie up. It means to be put into bonds. It literally means to stop. You know, I love, I love um, Lord of the Rings. Probably going to watch it again this Christmas with my kids. Um, it written by, by uh, J.R. Tolkien, who is a Christian. You know, there's one scene in the Lord of the Rings where they're going, they're on a river. They're going through this, this huge pass, a huge cliff either side. And on either side, there is like a, a knight or a crusader. And each of them have their hand out as if to say, stop. And, and it's a very, very powerful image. Because you know what? Um, the reason why is I believe it symbolizes that the only thing that can stop evil men is good men. It was the, the uh, Irish mem member of the British Parliament, Edmund Burke, who once said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And it, it, it repudiates this idea of stop. It repudiates this naive idea that uh, all you need is love. No, sometimes you need force. It's like the guy, you know, after the, the bombings in Paris goes out and plays, uh, you know, the piano. Uh, what was that uh, song by um, the guy from the Beatles, John Lennon? Uh, imagine. Imagining doesn't deal with the reality that there is a force of evil. And, and so, uh, sometimes, like I said, you need force. You know, an Islamic army of somewhere in the region of two to three hundred thousand men bent on conquering Europe, just as they had conquered all of the Middle East, was stopped at the gates of Vienna by King John of Poland. Now, the interesting thing I find is he didn't meet this army with pride flags and bigos stew, but rather he met them with strong men and swords. Stop. This is what Jesus meant when he said, you know, to bind and to loose. We have to literally stop the activity of the enemy. You know, Ephesians 6.10, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Let me clarify, okay? I'm not telling you to go out and, and attack uh, somebody. People aren't our problem, but the devil's working through people are. And we are in a battle, and we have to use our authority in Jesus' name. Because right now, we are in a battle for all that is pure and right and true. 
When you have people in authority telling you a man can magically become a woman, I think it's so ridiculous to, you know, uh, to have grown adults, you know, doctors and people in, uh, of influence in education talking about a man as if he was a woman or a woman as if she was a man. And it's an indication of how confused we are and of the tangent we are currently on. Because in the natural, we are losing in that battle for what is right and true and pure. Even right now, they're planning to bring in this thing of indoctrination for kids, uh, radical sex education in this nation, and they're pushing it throughout the whole Western world. Even getting teenagers to watch pornography in school as if that's going to somehow help them. No, that is from hell. It's from hell, and there's a spirit behind that ideology, and as the church, we have to rise up and take authority over it in Jesus' name. We have governments and media and educators undermining our freedoms and actively promoting perversion, confusion, and lies in the name of tolerance, inclusion, and progress. You see, we must rise up and bind these ancient forces working through these modern means or else we will end up living under a socialist dictatorship. There's a time to speak and a time to be silent, the Bible says. It's interesting that out of all God's creation, mankind was the only one who was given a voice to speak. Because authority is expressed through words. And as the earthly ruler of creation, man was to use this authority with his voice. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You know, last few days I was having uh, p- terrible pain in my back. And last night I was having terrible uh, back pain. And I was just going through this message and I was praying. And suddenly I said, you know what? In the name of Jesus, I command that pain to go. You know what? It left. Yeah. You have authority to stop. Stop Satan in his tracks. Use the name of Jesus. Stop him in his tracks, whether in your personal life or your family or your nation. But pastor, I'm afraid and I'm depressed and I'm anxious and I can't help it. That's just the way I am. No, that's the way the devil has made you. Okay? So stop talking incessantly about your mental health. Many times when people are talking about their mental health, it's simply a mixture of laziness, self-pity and narcissism masquerading as a medical condition. You may not like it. See, some of you are afraid to clap. But you may not like it. But when people are constantly going on about their fragile mental health, in many instances, it's simply a reflection of their fragile spiritual health. Okay? Because the reality is this. You contribute to your poor physical condition by your lack of exercise and by eating wrong, diet, etc. That's in the natural. It's the same in the spiritual. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Too many of you are feeding on Netflix and all sorts of perversion instead of feeding on the Word of God. Then you wonder why I feel bad. It's your diet, dummy. If you're spiritually malnourished, It is because you've neglected to build yourself up. I'm just just gonna go for it. Two minutes, I'm finished. But if you're spiritually malnourished, it's because you've neglected to build yourself up by reading your Bible, praying, going to church, and serving God. And, And in light of that, should you really be surprised that the devil is walking all over you? 
Because we have authority that we have not been walking in, okay? And this is the reality. We're only walking in authority to the degree that we're walking in the life of God's word. Obedience to God's word. Remember, Jesus defeated Satan by simply saying it is written. The devil could do nothing. Jesus said it is written. Amen. So let me say this. Satan had no response when Jesus said it is written. So quit blaming everyone and their uncle for your problems. What did Adam do after he sinned? The woman. Some of you guys, if you'd stop blaming your wife, God might actually do something in your life for you. Are some of you wives, if you stop blaming your husband? Because sometimes people hide behind the term mental health. And let me say this, I'm saying this in light of the fact that my wife had a mental breakdown about five years ago, but in reality, when she started to press in and started to build herself up spiritually, all of those torment and all of that oppression, all of that, those chains, they were broken. Amen? God wants us to walk in freedom. But we have a responsibility to play our part. And so let me say this. When people talk about, oh, my mental health, many times it's excusing their own laziness and their unwillingness to face the giants that may be coming against them. You see, you have authority to stop the devil in his tracks. People, like, like I said, you, they'll do anything to avoid responsibility. Well, pastor, I struggle, but everybody else does as well. No, it's just the bunch you're currently traveling with. You, you're, in the wrong, you're in the wrong group. Oh, it's your, it's your fault, Pastor. No, it's not. I sleep very well at night. I teach the Word of God. It's your responsibility to put it into practice in your life. So stop hiding behind excuses. It's time to change. Well, well Pastor, other people are doing it too. Other people are most likely on their way to hell. Okay? So quit comparing yourself to other people. And let me say this. Even for those who make it, not everybody is going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So you can't be just using that as an excuse. Plead the blood over your mind and stop giving place to fear. Stop giving place to the devil. He is the accuser of the brethren. He torments people in their minds. Amen? And so stop giving the devil place in Jesus' name. The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. You see, it's time to get violent with the enemy. It's time to stop him and say, you know what, devil? No more playing. Um, uh, what did what Peter say? Such as I have, give I, uh, give I thee. The church didn't have money. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have influence, but they had the name. And they were able to stop the devil and raise that crippled man up in Jesus' name. You see, we've authority. We've authority to ask. We've authority to stop. And as the worship group come forward, we have authority to go. We've been authorized to go. Let me encourage you today as you leave this place. God has authorized you to go. Do you know the first two letters of the gospel spell go? Jesus said go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We've been called to go with the name that is above every name. Amen. You know Isaiah come against God's glory. What did he say? Here am I, send me. What did God respond by saying? He said go. You see, it's not just the New Testament principle, it's even in the Old Testament. We are called to go with God. We're called to go with a message that can set people free. Do you know Revelation 14 talks about, it says, And I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. You see, we must preach the everlasting gospel while there is time. You know, praise God for the, the time when angels on high will preach the gospel to mankind. But right now, it's our responsibility. 
Do you know when, he, when, when God called Peter to come to Cornelius' house, he sent an angel to bring Peter. And what did the angel say to Cornelius? He will come and speak words to you. Do you know that angel could walk through the wall? That angel could travel through time and space. But that angel could not preach the gospel. That is our responsibility. Amen. That is our privilege. That is our honor to be able to share the gospel with other people. If you could stand to your feet today in Jesus' name. Thank you.